0: luck on sunday brought to you by whirlpool bet with the world
1: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. But first of all, it is 10 years, can you believe it, since he had his last ride. He's making us all feel old this morning. He himself looks, well, not a day over 18, the age he was when he first rode Cheltenham winners. What a career for Chuck Thornton.
2: From Dempsey racing for the line, another great win for the Allen King River Thornton combination.
0: Fight for is the champion chaser. is nothing if not game, and he's just going to see off and wins the champion.
1: And he said, since if he was going to give advice to anyone. It would be ride as long as you can, because then you have to start working. He's been working for ten years now. Robert Thornton, good morning, good to see you. Good morning, Nick. Thank you for having us. Wonderful memories there. Yeah,
2: fantastic. It was, it was great to see, just see that little reel. And, um, oh, God, you, you could relive them moments every day of the week. It was fantastic.
1: And there was that little golden spell, wasn't there, where you and Cheltenham did seem to go hand in glove. You seemed to have the place.
2: Yeah, it was a surreal time, to be honest with you. I mean, it was it was... Between 2004 and possibly 2008, you'd have certain horses going to certain races and you knew where they were going and it was a bit like, oh, well, that'll win that, or that'll that'll win that, or we got a great chance in that. Such a confident um, time, you felt bulletproof and and, and Alan instilled that in you, Alan King. Absolutely instilled, instilled that in you. So it was great to see Edward Stone winning there yesterday.
1: Yeah, and we're going to chat with, with Alan King later in the show. You've been busy. You've been really busy. Yeah, really. Since, since you left the
2: saddle. Really, as well. really busy. Um, we've, well, I've obviously been running um, or managing the stud, Appletree Stud, for um, a great supporter of, of mine and Alan's, Paul Dunkley. I've um, been doing that for the last 10 years. And then just recently, we've, we've looked at developing a new, a new racing plate, Equishocks. Just tell me a little bit more about that. About the racing plate. Yeah, um, it is a, a rubber, uh, sorry, an aluminium insert with vulcanised rubber around the outside. Um, it reduces concussion, um, reduces vibration. So vibrations going up the limbs. Um, there's a, there's massive benefits which um, we've seen recently from a from a striking in point of view. If off, you've got a horse who's knocking his joints, knocking his sesamoids, not. Um, you know not perfectly conformed or whatever they all can't be perfect and they, they might knock as they go through or, or or from a hind leg um and it has great striking in benefits from a um other horses around it so if, the, if if all the horses were wearing these shoes which is our dream um then they would be a lot safer if one was striking into especially on the flat when they race so so tight um, and i think we'll see huge benefits from this shoe we've seen benefits already when the ground becomes quicker through the through the summer months Um, with the flat horses and with the summer jumping.
1: We're going to have a look at the shoes in in a little while, but you wouldn't have been able to do this. You wouldn't have been able to do what might end up being your most important legacy unless you'd built up all these years of experience in the sport. So, wind it right back to that period in your teens where you went from being happy-go-lucky guy in the hunting field to champion amateur jockey at 17-18 with David Nicholson riding two Cheltenham Festival winners. I
2: mean, can you really... Conceive of how quickly that all happened there no, I mean it, it, and it, it wasn't I think Richard Johnson went <coughs> excuse me, went before me, um, and it happened very, very quickly for him, so he was he was probably the first from that, that batch of riders from the David Nicholson um, University of life um, and then I, I came through um, afterwards and at the age of eighteen seventeen, eighteen, you just didn 't ride festival winners you, you weren 't given those opportunities, and the Duke was very old school. So you didn't just rock up at the yard, or oh, you can ride, you'll get rides. You had to work your way in, you had to um, get acceptance from from the lads. Um, you know Mark White, who's now travelling head lad for Alan King, he was there, and he, he was he the was, um, second travelling head lad at the time, and he was a hard taskmaster. So you had to work your way in, even to get these lads to speak to you. I think it took Whitey two years to speak to me while I was at the Dukes. Um, work your way in, and then once the Duke knew you were capable and dedicated, hard enough. I probably wasn't that dedicated actually, but hard enough working. Do you know what I mean? You wanted it, then he'd give you the opportunities. Um, and yeah, it was it was unbelievable.
1: But there was there was quite an interesting moment when I was interviewing Gary Moore on Friday at Kempton, and I said, "Oh, how it must be great having Niall Houlihan and, and young Kaylin Quinn there, you know as." Uh, not back up, but yeah, riding most of the horses now because Jamie's on the sidelines. He said, "Oh yeah," he said, "they're great lads, they're really hardworking lads. They do." Don't... And then he paused and went, "Well, he's not pointing to care, then, but he's a really good rider, so it doesn't really matter." <laughs> was there any element of that with you that the Duke actually just thought, "Well, you're really talented, so I'll give you a bit of a
2: buy"? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I probably wasn't the cleverest, as in I'd, I'd get telling offs regularly um, for, for not possibly not pulling my weight. Whereas I think Richard Johnson was slightly more intelligent than me. He, always, he was good at looking busy. Everybody thought he worked hard, but I knew he didn't, really. Um, he was very, very good at looking, looking busy. Um, but, I mean, it was a talented crew and a, not just... Um, was, he, was he a bit sort of butter-wouldn't-melt? Richard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or gave that impression? I uh, gave that impression. That I, I, he, was, um, he was golden balls, can I say that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I yeah, can yeah say that. yeah. He, he was golden balls. Um, and I was probably the, the rogue, um, slight rogue. Um, but it, it, it worked very well. We had such fun. I mean, fantastic times. And I could, I could be biased, and, and it's a bit of nostalgia. But looking back, I don't think they had as I don't think they have as much fun now as, as we had back then. Probably quite rightly, they're more dedicated. They're fitter. Um, longevity is a big thing, so they last longer. But we had an awful lot of fun. And,
1: and David Nicholson. Now, one of the great sadnesses is that. Yeah, he died quite a, quite a young man, really, by by yeah. modern standards, and we haven't really had the opportunity to in, enjoy his thoughts on the game in the last in the last couple of decades. For those who don't really remember what he was like, just give us a bit of a snapshot.
2: Oh, he was a fantastic mentor, um, firm but fair. Uh, as hard as you worked, you you, you played that hard as uh, as well. Um, but everything had to be right. Everything had to be. Be spot on, you, you know what I mean. You, you, it didn't matter whether you were an aspiring jockey or a, um, a, a stable lad, everything had to be pristine, boots clean, you know, riding out properly. Um, no messing when it was time to work, it was time to work, but when it was time to play, you, you could play.
1: People talk about some of these figures as though they were very tough and that the atmosphere was very austere, but you paint a slightly different picture. There seemed to be a great heart behind that operation, a big heart in the man.
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I don't... I, some of the things that happened to... The lads was a, was a um, I don't know what you call a, 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 passage, a, a rite of passage, so you, there'd be little tricks and things played on you. I don't think anybody from, from that kind of era would complain about it. Um, it, 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 was, it was tough, but like I said, it, it, it was fun. Um, I think now some of the things that went on back then we you know we people would be aghast at but um,
1: like What sort of thing?
2: Well, just just silly little things. Like I can remember having to um, we had these tanks these these um, barrels on top of the um, The mound there at the back of Jackdaws that in the summer they had to be full of water so we you'd um, Lead the horses up onto the grass after after um, riding out after galloping and They'd have a pick of grass take the tack off, get your bucket of water, wash them down. So from the young lad's point of view, it, it, it was one of our jobs before lunchtime to go and make sure these buckets, these big barrels, were full. Um, so that was obviously one of my jobs to begin with. And you'd be there and you'd be filling the, the barrel. Water's going in, what's going in, you get it to the top. Just as you got it to the top, load of the old, older lads would appear, pick you up, <laughs> stick you upside down I can see this where barrel. this was going, yeah. <laughs> And the only way to get out of that barrel was to rock it, knock it over. So you'd have to fill the thing up again. Sure enough, as you got it to the top, they'd appear, pick you up, upside down. And this had happened, you know, over a period of time. But it, but it was good fun. Um, it Probably was fun. not when you,
1: so much fun when you are actually no, in the barrel, but no, yes. Yeah, no, but, it, but it, yeah.
2: you still found it funny, yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, it's a different time now, but with God we had some fun.
1: What did everybody else think when you were being put on Cheltenham Festival winners at 18?
2: I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, all, all I ever felt from anybody around me, people in the yard at that time, was, was support and people delighted for you.
1: And you're still an amateur as well. I'm still an amateur. Double at the Cheltenham Festival yeah, in double, consecutive yeah, races, wasn't yeah.
2: it? Uh, yeah, consecutive yeah. races. And then to continue that... Um, Is that the what? maddest hour of your life? Was the maddest hour of my life, but it, it actually continued because then I went to Liverpool and I rode two up there. And then I went to Punchstown and I rode two there. And at the end of the season, it was so surreal, you were just like, oh, my God. I mean, I remember um, Jez Willis legging me up at Punchestown, and um, I'd actually ridden the winner for Arthur Moore um, on the quads. And he legged me up on our bumper horse out to camper in the Grade 1, the Land Rover, because I was an amateur. And I can remember him legging me up, and going, go on, kid. You normally ride a double at these meetings. Get it done. That's insane, isn't <laughs> It's nuts, it? isn't it? Um... Something I probably should have enjoyed more at the time, but I think everybody who's experienced that kind of thing at a young age will, will say the same. And thank God I was lucky enough to to go through it again. So
1: where did you think you were headed at that point, or were you not really giving it a lot of thought? Were you just riding the wave?
2: I didn't really. I can't actually remember sitting back. I can remember sitting back and going, "Wow, what what is this all about?" But I can't actually remember sitting back and thinking, "I'm going to be champion jockey. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that." I, it was just riding a wave. It was it was. Fantastic times and very surreal.
1: Got cool. lots to talk about from yesterday and to do that, Chuck Thornton's still
3: with us. David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror. Um, you looking OK? You've had a, a, a little procedure this week? Yes, below the waist, uh, Nick. Uh, double hernia. Um, so, um, Enjoy yeah. your breakfast, everybody? <laughs> <It> was, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is my first public appearance um, since, actually. So, OK. Um, didn't didn't make it to Newbury yesterday, sadly. But um, yeah, mending very well, thank you. Good. Um, Recommend it.
1: Good. You're a you're, you've got new life in you. So too it seems as as Shishkin after an inauspicious start to the season, uh, and he got his his victory yesterday yeah, in, in the Denman Chase.
3: What did you make of the execution? I thought I wasn't overwhelmed by it, but it didn't shake my belief that Shishkin is one of the very few horses in the Gold Cup that, that can shake up Gallupin de My view on Gallupin de is that he'll probably win, um, but I still think that his fencing can be a bit unvarnished. And um, yesterday, with Shishkin, he raced a bit lazily, he hit the second, he hit the last. You couldn't give him 10 out of 10, which is why bookmaker reaction... Some shortened Shishkin for the Gold Cup, others pushed him out. So that you could take a view as to what you thought of that performance, but I thought he he did the necessary. It was... He patched up, I called it a tarnished reputation, if I... I'd trust a trader review, I'd give him about four stars out of five yesterday. I wouldn't say, it's a perfect job, look at it, oh, absolutely wonderful. But I wouldn't be calling the builder a cowboy and demanding that he's back at eight o'clock on Monday morning (laughs) to fix the mess that he's made.
1: (laughs) I wonder what the trader Nicky Edison makes of all that. Uh, Nicky, good morning. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How many stars did you give uh, Shishkin yesterday?
4: Well, I I was listening to that. I wouldn't disagree with four out of five, Um, maybe nine out of ten. Yeah, I mean, not surprisingly, it's his first run since Aintree last year. Um, I know he went most of the way in the King George, and he may well have won it as well. But um, at least we've got a race under his belt, and he's had to finish it out. He's had to do some work because it's a really good blow, really good blow. Um, and he was afterwards. So, I think we can count that we've got plenty of improvement to come out of it. So,
1: getting getting that run into him was, was absolutely critical yesterday. I was very struck when I spoke to you on Friday that you seemed way more confident that he would start than you had been before the, the King George. You feel that mentally you've got him gearing in the right way now.
4: I think so. He's funny. At the beginning of the season, he has his sort of quirks and funny little games that we have to play, and that's why I actually originally sent him over to Zara Tyndall for about five weeks to go and do some Bessage, um, which he enjoyed, and I think he enjoyed it too. But um, it just helps his mind. Then he's quite boisterous, but once he's had a run, um, he, we are in control again, which is the great thing. Um, unfortunately, Ascot was his sort of first run, and he was in control. Um, but Kempton was pretty good. That wasn't flawless at Kempton, where it was yesterday. There were absolutely no questions, and so he passed that little issue without incident. I think you can really take that. I hope you can take that out of the mm. equation. Now we've got to concentrate on getting him as sharp as a pencil for March, and I think it's where we have to go. There's no one else to go.
1: He's, a, he's such an interesting horse. I was looking back through all the quotes from his novice hurdling and novice chasing career, and the amount of times Nico de Boyneville had used the word speed in those quotes was quite striking. Now he's a horse that looks as though you could run him over four and a half miles and he'd, pro- and he'd probably stay it. To what extent do you think that he is just returning to what he was always born to do, and to what extent has he confounded you in this extraordinary journey?
4: Well, the interesting one when Nico got off yesterday, he said he's in such good form, you could have run him in the game first. Mm. So, I mean, that was his actual words. He, he, he still he still got the speed for a two Um And I mean, he, he doesn't race as if he's running away. Look, Protectorat was doing too much up front, wasn't he? Um, and so we were getting a nice toe off him. but Shishim was just always in a very nice comfort zone, and the race went. You know,
1: from our point of view, a couple of unsightly little moments, otherwise you've been very, very good. And I suppose the key at, at Cheltenham is being in contention where it really matters and not allowing the race to unfold in front of him too much, as it did in, in last year's Ryanair. Are you pretty confident, given the raw material that you're working with, that you can get him in better nick going into the festival than was the case 12 months ago?
4: Well, I think certainly we even have him in better condition than yesterday. 12 months ago, no, he probably wasn't in condition at all. I don't know. I don't know. We've had all those problems with him, and hopefully they are behind him. As you know, we've always brushed the idea of cheek pieces, and I think you can probably see why we put them on Alaska, but then they sort of, they unfortunately got blamed for it not starting, which I think is actually wrong. And yeah. uh, for am rather mad king to start experimenting in the gold cup again. We've always thought they would help him. And as you can see, the way he raced yesterday, you can see why. Um, you know, they, it, it would still strike me they'd help, but I think we'll probably go with that one.
1: Um, Nikki, I need to ask you about Iberico Lord, who gave you yet another bet fair hurdle. Um, Mark of 134 was indeed as lenient as we suspected it, it might be, even after the victory in the, in the Great Wood. You, you might have another good couple of handicaps in him yet, mightn't you, before you have to do, have to do something
4: <clears> better. Yeah. Um, well, that was a bit special yesterday. They went at a phenomenal pace, and you would have to say that was just a great ride by Nicker. Um, he's been in the right place. They were going too quick. He knew they were. He went down the inside there. He had a dream run up the inside of Newbury yesterday. i he was on the best ground on the track. I don't know why he was all on his own over there. But um, he got the best of the ground, and he got a beautiful run, and timed it to perfection. It was it was proper, proper big race riding stuff. But where do we go? He's in nothing at the moment. He hasn't got an entry, because he's not in the champion, obviously. Um, <laughs> um So you've still got the Imperial Gas for Counties entries to come. So he's going to run again. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he was, again, he was a hundred percent this morning. Um, so was Shishkin, I'm glad to say, and Dottie the great ones I've seen so far. They're, they're, they're all great. They've come out really, really well. So where do we go? It's a very difficult one. Um, JP's got an even faster program book than I have. So I'm sure he'll have a have a good idea too. We'll have to see. We've got others to come into all these equations. Because, unfortunately, we couldn't run Lucia or under control in the race yesterday. So they've got to slot in somewhere else now as well. But I think we've got that covered now. Um, and so I, I think is likely to turn up at children in something, yes.
1: High-class problem. Um, Constitution Hill, there's only one question that really matters now, which mm-hmm. is... Are you exactly 100% where you want to be with him at uh, th- uh, this juncture? With what have we got? Four, four and a half weeks to tell four, them. Four, five four weeks. weeks on Tuesday. Five weeks. Four
4: weeks on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, I am. We've had a good weekend. I was talking to Michael Buckley five minutes ago and I told him he's got some good news. Um, Nico rode him yesterday morning over a oh, violent freeze um on our grass it was I mean we used our sacred ground. You wouldn't know a horse had been up but it was beautiful ground. Um and he was moving like um, well as unlike me as you could get he was it was good to watch. He stood up and well he thought he felt very happy, very clean. Um you know that was the first major day out for him, his Cheltenham breath and it couldn't have gone better. Touch
1: um, I'm only reading between the lines, really, just from converse, bits of conversations we've, we've had over the last few weeks and just piecing bits together. I get the sense that he's been fine, but obviously he had that bug on him and returned the bad blood count, but that he's yeah. just been fine and ticking along, and maybe now you're starting to see, oh, OK, that's, that's him in good form again.
4: Well, he scoped very well this week, which was vital um that that was essential. so that said we could kick on um and so today yesterday was his sort of first big day out Where you know we've got four weeks and i'd be pretty comfortable that's enough you'd almost certainly have a racecourse gallop somewhere um and we have the facilities to do it at home i wouldn't i wouldn't have to have a racecourse gallop but i think we will probably just sharpens him up a little bit um uh, I was very, very happy yesterday. You've to say yesterday, all told, was a good day in trainers' life, uh,
1: which is good news. Am I, am I going mad? Didn't you do a public gallop last year? Or
4: yeah, we did. Well, I think we, we've been. Yeah, I mean, he did. We have. He has galloped. It. Um, there is a. There is a day where uh, Barney lets us go to Kempton. Yeah. But, so I think he went to Newbury one day. I mean, he wouldn't... You know, there was I didn't need to go to Newbury this Sunday, that's for sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I've got nothing to hide. Wherever he goes, anybody can go. um, And
1: Just just looking at the champion hurdle itself, well, we've been talking all week about it, it could end up being a, a virtual match or maybe three or four runners. Of, of other horses that you've got entered in the race, do you think you'll run any?
4: Well, I do. Poor old First Street's having a terrible time because he's basically, we said about the season, saying, well, look, there's going to be a lot of prize money around. Um, he was third. So we ran him in the uh, Christmas hurdle and he was third. He was third again in the Um, Cleve, um and, uh, and amazingly for that, he got put up five. I was, I was, I was thinking he might off one, four, one, which he was he could come into the Coral. Now he's up, up one, four, six, they've done him in completely there. Five pounds just for running against a whole lot of his old muckers that he's been running against for, 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 for the last three years. We've got Lucia. I think Paul he's very keen to run. There is going to be mopping up places, and I, I suspect quite a few people will pick this up, and rather they didn't, because I'd quite like it for myself, but... Mm. <laughs> the, you know, we could easily run a couple more, yes.
1: Right, so you could run First Street and Lu- Lucia would be a really interesting runner, wouldn't she? She'd add quite a bit to it with the with the allowance.
4: Well, you know, we we did take her out yesterday. She doesn't want soft ground. She had 12 stone in the Betfair and that did seem a huge task in ground she'd hate. It. So she could at that. I don't think she'll stay two and a half in the mares, even if I thought we could beat Blossie Balfe, but... Um, I, Paul's very keen to, to have a crack at the champion hurdle. And, you know, you've got a state man and, 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 under the, uh, and, and Constitution Hill. And then, you know, there probably is room for third, fourth and fifth yeah. with very, very tempting prize money, as there was definitely. even yesterday.
1: in that race. And definitely. And if you've, if you've got a mayor that's been third in a champion hurdle, then she's, she's worth a lot of money all of a sudden. Nicky, thanks for your time yes. this morning. Well done yesterday.
4: Not at all. Thank you, Nick. All us.
1: Nicky Henderson. Oh, that's interesting. He'll bowl a couple more in the, in the champion hurdle, particularly Lucia.
3: Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, we've been talking this week about how the, the champion hurdle field is going to dwindle. You know, I think we were thinking that six might be the yeah. upper end of our expectations, but if there are three from seven Barrows, then that'll bump it up a little bit. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't change the, the, the situation of a whole deal, does no. it? But,
1: Three from Seven Varis, maybe two from Willie Mullins. Not so sleepy. We're at six and six and counting,
2: Chuck. We've got a field. There's some prize money to be won there, isn't there?
1: Exactly. Exactly that. Uh, in terms of Shishkin, can you envisage him winning the gold cup?
2: Yeah, absolutely I can. Um, he's obviously had his, his, um, his issues or whatever, but, and there's, there's quirkiness there. But watching him there yesterday, he always, to me, looks like he's, he's just saving that little bit, saving that little bit. And like you said earlier, if he's in contention and he's just saving, saving, he'll definitely get home. And that that three three mile two um, over the new course around Cheltenham takes some getting. It really does take some getting. So there'll be a lot of beaten horses to run by.
1: You... um, I, I always associate... You and Alan King in that period, with lots of of smooth travelling horses, horses who did things nicely and smoothly and easily, and on the bridle. What's it like to be driving one with a mile and a half to run in a Gold Cup or something like that? Well, I've
2: I've been there. I've been there a couple of times. I was I was there with Halcon General, horse, and he ran on to finish fourth. fourth. I mean, there's many sort of those. I'm not putting Shiskin in this in this bracket at all. He's a far far classier horse than than the, although they're good horses that I'm going to mention, but it's a Sir Rembrandt. I mean, he was nothing but a, but a galloper, just a dual galloper. Um, and you could, probably, you could probably have put um, Andrew Thornton's other book called on. you could have put him in that bracket too. If you stay and you, you can be in contention, you can lie up, which Shiskin clearly can, and if he's saving that little bit and he can stay, he'll, he'll, he'll be in the four, I've got, I've got no doubt.
3: If okay. he comes up exclusively the property of the, the push button traveler is it no, you know no, synchronized 2012 yeah. but came again from.
1: but here's here's a horse who you feel it's horses like synchronized and sir rembrandt they were horses who had no choice but to be yeah. where they were because they were basically slow this horse is actually a really fast horse yeah. but it's it's all yeah, what's yeah. going on there, in here
3: there was a point um again watching it from from my bed at home there, there was a point i think when the the camera uh, closed in on uh, Shishkin when the in the back straight, towards the end of the back straight when Nico de Boinville's arms were starting to move. But as you say, it's it's it is a matter of choice with that horse, isn't it? At the second last, he appears like the the shopkeeper from Mr. Ben, doesn't he? He's just there and he's travelling really strongly and suddenly the 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 game's completely changed, hasn't it? That um having wondered 30 seconds ago whether this horse was gonna St- remain on the heels of the leaders and be competitive or drop away he's suddenly just like alongside Protectorat and it's like well it's certainly game over for pro- pro- Protectorat and probably the horses behind as well
1: I want to talk about Edward Stone a little bit more because we did touch upon it when we were speaking earlier on and that, and that tactical change we're trying to reach Alan King at the moment uh, to talk to him because we want to get you know, that lead up to what, to what happened yesterday how do you think it all played
2: out? I, th- I thought it played out played out well, and like, like we said, I, th- I think shocked is a bit is a bit of a strong word, but surprised. I think everybody was surprised. There wasn't a person watching the telly or in Newbury that wasn't surprised that Edward Stone was, was out in front like he was, um, and it, it, it couldn't have gone better, could it? Um, he's he's won basically on the bridle. You don't run in any of those kind of races and get an easy race you, you, in a, in a in a game spirit in those graded races. They've always got to put something on on the line. Um, but, but what a prep. It's an absolute perfect prep for jumping. For
3: if, if you were riding Edward Stone, would, would you not... Like, we look at John Bond and we look at El Fabiola, and El, F- El Fabiola obviously is a long odds-on favourite for that race, but he does have... If it's not on Achilles' heel, it's certainly a minor flaw, and that is his jumping. He yep. can... He, he, he's, his jumping isn't polished, is it? You know, he, it, it, as, as a novice, I remember in the, the Irish Arkle, he whacked one. I think it was four out or something, and still bounds through and wins convincingly. If you were riding Edwistone, would you not, would you not try and get a metronomic pace at the front and say, right, I'm going to, I'm going to go one mile an hour slower than too quick, if you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so that John Bond and Ed, uh, and El Fabiolo, I'm going to make sure that their jumping is put to a, a, a real stern test because my horse probably will jump and gallop, and that's surely the the, the best chance that I've got of expo- uh, of exposing those horses' weaknesses.
2: It's a it's a fair point, but you, you've got to be so careful with that because because the that that fine line between. Going too quick, like you said, one mile an hour less than too quick. That fine line of judging that is, is, is very, very difficult. I mean, you'd hope that you didn't have to do that yourself. I mean, what, what Tom Cannon, what I've got to do, what Tom Cannon's got to do in that situation is ride your own race. Right. You've got to look after your own prospects and, and, and hope that something else can do that for you. If you're getting halfway through the race and it's clearly not working, then maybe you you, you can then go to the front.
3: Yes, like you no say, reason why you can't do that. Editor or someone else yeah. would would very likely do that. Do, job do for that you. job
2: for you. So don't don't help him. And the, and the last thing you want to be in that situation where we know Edward Stone can can hang on a little bit is racing too soon with with Edjero um, ticket.
3: So I mean the the in the in the mind of the jockey who's leading. I think you go in your own judgment, and you know, obviously, the, the top jockeys are good judges of yeah. pace. Find the, um, the 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 speed that you can that is as close to going too fast, but isn't going too fast. And that is just the way. It, it, it might not be Edward Stone; it might be another horse. But I think you know, we've already started writing the 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 it's Cheltenham script. the yeah. Cheltenham stuff for yeah. the for the pullout, and I wrote El Fabiolo this week before. Uh, Saturday, yeah. and I thought hasn't got on Achilles' heel. He jump, he doesn't yeah. jump very well, but he's all Sudd- right. Suddenly, this has thrown the whole.
1: Sure, this has made this race fifty times more interesting, yeah. hasn't it? I agree. It's oh. exactly how the championship should yeah. be. it was. It was in so many respects a really joyous race to watch yesterday, particularly if you're um, if you're Alan King, who is who is with us now. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Nick. Um, you're. Former stable jockey earlier on today, I don't know if you, you were watching, he said, every time I see A-King in the papers, I still think there's a little bit of me that should be riding that horse. Um, yeah, I
5: did hear that. <laughs>
1: morning, Alan. Morning, Chuck. Uh, do, you, do, do you identify with what he was saying?
5: Yeah, yeah, I think I do. You know, we, we had a long... It's great, they were actually still great mates as well. I mean, he rings me every morning, every Monday morning, it's sort of... Um, uh, 8, uh, 8.30 for an update, and it, it's great that he's still, you know, connected with the odds.
1: And Chuck was reminiscing about a couple of game spirits that didn't go so well for you two with, with VoIPur or Estetis. So there might have been a bit of unfinished business yesterday as well.
5: Yes, I mean, we did, Partially, I did win it with Sir Royal a few years ago, but it's, it's, it's a race that, uh, you know, it's a race I've always sort of loved, loved to win and followed all my career. You know, the game spirit, you, you associate it with the great two milers, really and
1: great two-milers as well when, when you were uh, assisting David Nicholson as well. I, I, I just wonder what the what the um, lead-up to yesterday was like for you and, and Tom Cannon and, and that, that change of tactics and how you decided to put that all together.
5: Well, Tom's been quite keen to do it for some time and um, I think he, he touched, hit the nail on the head yesterday when he said we had a, a itch to scratch, we, we would keen to try them over two and a half which obviously we, we, we did at Kempton and it didn't work and I think there and then or just afterwards we sort of thought right we'll come to the game spirit and we'll pop out and make it and um, you know um, I made sure he didn't tell of the jockeys in the waiting room beforehand yesterday so um, I think it took them a little bit of a surprise but I'm not saying there's much they could have done about it anyway
1: he went with serious relish yesterday as well I mean how how soon into the race did you think yeah yeah this this was a this was a good idea
5: well, um, as soon as he got uh, jumped the first, and then he, he you know, they jumped the first upsides, and then he sort of went two or three lengths clear. And I thought, well, he'll 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 um, he'll settle in front. And, um, he wasn't over racing, really. I think Tom just dropped his hands down the back, and I, I felt we were never really overdoing it. Little little breather going to the cross fence, and then he he went away again. You know.
1: And when we spoke at Kempton on Friday, I got the sense that you were quite cautious to try and say too much and you didn't really want to commit as far as Cheltenham was concerned, and you didn't, you didn't really want to draw any, any hard and fast conclusions in your mind from what had happened the previous time. What had you been thinking between early January and, and yesterday?
5: Um, what was I thinking? I was thinking that my horses were in much better form than they'd been all year. Um, I'd been delighted with Edward Stone's preparation and you know I think I said in my weekend, I call him, I've said enough, it's up to him to do the talking, but I did see after Emma Tom won yesterday I was really looking forward to the race and that's not like me I usually petrified before a big one but I really did look forward to running him yesterday and, and I, I was delighted but I wasn't overly surprised.
1: And you, you made an interesting point yesterday I thought when you said you'd, you'd been harder on him at home you'd been, you'd been grafting him more since, since um, Kemp and I, I sort of drew the inference from that that maybe you'd, you'd backed off him a bit after the Tingle Creek is that right?
5: No, 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 far from it. I mean, I've, I've, I've been training the horses a bit differently for the last couple of years. Uh, we, we've, we've tended just to go back to doing two counters, you know, a sharp counter and a bit of work. And look, the results haven't been where I wanted them. We've, they've been running okay, but probably too many horses finishing second and not enough winners. And I was away on holiday, sort of middle of January, time for some thought and you know, so thinking, what the hell is wrong and what am I doing different? And um, we just felt, I thought, I'm not training the way I used to. And, I think in the Monday morning, I was due to come back on the Friday, the Monday morning I rang Robin Smith, my my assistant, he was an absolute top class man as well and um, I just said to him, I said, right tomorrow and Wednesday, I said, you start doing three up the hill and I said, I'll be back Friday morning, let's work these horses the way we used to and I think they've turned inside out in the fortnight Um, we've had eight, nine winners in the last two weeks and they're finishing the races now, they were were getting to the last and not really finishing that, hitting the line hard and I think it's made a big difference. And, and I think Edward's Stone the same, you know. I mean, we don't weigh them, but I bet he was a little bit lighter than he's been all season.
1: Mm. Do you think, though, that the art of getting a horse to get through a whole season and to still be enjoying his racing in March, April, and then into double figures in terms of age is that you're, you're sometimes training full throttle and sometimes backing off them a little bit?
5: Oh, we do that, definitely. I mean... We've worked most of the string three times, and then you know the horses that I can't run on the soft ground, I've backed off them, you know, uh, and we'll wait for this storm or whatever you want to call it going through, and then it's going to take a week ten days before we get some decent ground. So, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to drill them 24/7, but it's it's, it's noticeable that, and I think all the real top trainers, great trainers, the one thing they all do is they graft the horse. If you, if you go back or look at Willie and Gordon and Ireland and Nicky no doubt and, and, and Paul, uh, and going back to one of my great heroes, Henry Cecil, I mean there was no one worked his horses harder um, and you know the results speak for themselves
1: so a little bit more a little bit more graft, a little bit more drill, a little bit lighter, leaner, meaner uh, I't do wh- think
5: they're not necessarily much I know I didn't think Edwardson had probably tightened up a bit but it's interesting. You know, we've done more work, but we've also upped the feed, and and yeah. I think they're looking terrific. If anything, the top line is getting stronger. So it's look. I'm very happy where the horses are at the minute, and, and I don't think it's, it's. I don't. I think. I don't think it's. A, I think it's, it's happened through just a little bit of more graft. You you get away with it in the, spri- in the spring, in the autumn, on good ground, but now with the, the wetter winters, you know, the stamina's really having to kick in and you know ninety five percent fit isn't enough, So we just that little bit extra um and, and hopefully we're seeing that is that they're actually finishing the races well now
1: um if yesterday's Edward Stone rocks up to the to the champion chase, what sort of task is he setting the John Bonds and el fabiolos Do you think
4: uh, no look. It's-
5: no disrespect to yesterday's horses, he's, he's in opposition yesterday, but I mean, the, the Queen Mother's going to be a totally different,
4: different race. And,
5: but we've only, we, you know, we were only a few lengths behind um, John Bonn and the Tingle Creek. Um, I took his third favourite, and that's probably where I think he, he deserves to be at the minute. But I, at least I can go there and actually look forward to running him, I think.
1: We haven't got the, the pleasure of Chuck Thornton for too much longer. Um, I wouldn't mind a, a last word from you. Alan, um, single greatest Chalk Thornton moment in the saddle?
5: <laughs> oh dear, that's a tough one. I mean, there were so many great days. I think one of his most—it wasn't terrible, it wasn't one of the best they would but he did win the the, the Albert Bartlett. It was a horse called Nano Oh yeah. Who was off the bridle for two miles nine, two miles seven of the three miles, I think. Had he pushed and shoved and slapped, and I thought it was one of the great rides.
1: Um, That and many other great memories from a a golden period and a wonderful day yesterday. Well done.
5: Thanks, Nick. Cheers. Cheers, everyone.
1: There is a motif to today's programme, and that is enduring partnerships between trainers and jockeys. King and Thornton, now Jones and Moffat. Charlotte Jones and Jimmy Moffat are with me today. Between them, 73 winners. 73 winners... In her career for Charlotte, all of them for Jimmy, um, and not just the the King and Queen of Cartmel, but many places beyond now as well. This is a this is a great union. It's working incredibly well, Charlotte, and you're just two rides away from from losing your claim. It must feel pretty good.
6: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm going to be lingering on 73 for for a little bit now, but it's one of them. I mean sooner the better for me, but that's just the start, isn't it? The hard work sort of starts there.
1: Every time I see you interviewed, every time I read anything about what you're doing, it seems to be that there is a real team ethos to drive this um, way beyond the confines of cartmel and cumbria and carlisle you are you're pushing hard
6: oh massively i mean together as a team in the yard, the girls in the yard obviously jimmy his wife nadine everybody works hard you know we've got physios farriers vets everybody's there all the time and it, and it is a full team effort We're, you know, we are a small yard, but we're very close-knit. We're able to give all the horses any individual care and attention they need. The horses thrive from it. So, you know, that that's what we try and achieve, and, and fingers crossed, it can it can reach us to the next level.
1: I mean, Jimmy, do you feel like you're in a buccaneering phase at the moment? That this is, a, this is a quite an important moment in time for you?
7: Well, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've had a few good days in the past, but uh, um, Charlotte and I gel well, and the owners are... Uh, you know, the backing us at the sales and getting a better quality type of horse, and uh, that's sort of shown in the results in the last couple of years. So, I'm happy with the way things are going, but you know, you, you can't take your foot off the accelerator, can you?
1: And uh, Moffat's doing well in this sport. Goes back an awful long way. We're going to talk about your dad Dudley and a bit more in a in a few moments' time. But, um, Charles, I want to talk to talk first about your career. And it seems to me that developing well, though it is now, this if not has happened by accident hasn't happened the way that necessarily you'd have planned it at 1819
6: <laughs> no not at all no um probably at 18 at I, I, well didn't really know much about racehorses so yeah no not at all
1: but you knew quite a bit about horses
6: yeah i mean i've ridden all my life i've rode since i was a child um i learned at a local riding school when i was a kid um obviously gone on through pony club and i was quite a a big part of the games team pony club games i absolutely loved that going fast obviously winning (laughs) that's probably where the speed and the winning came from
1: yeah for those who aren't familiar with pony club games it's worth (laughs) it's worth just sort of Describing exactly, I mean, it's it's like a Jim Carner on steroids, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
6: probably. Kids that are probably might as well be hyped and on ponies that are rapid and sort of turning, jumping off at, at a gallop, jumping back on at a gallop, and yeah, just it's like a sports day, but on horses. So mm. yeah, of course, that was probably where a lot of my competitiveness came from on a pony. Um,
1: you need to be good and sharp and fast and have your wits about yeah, you. Yeah,
6: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I did a lot of that as a kid um, and show jumping, things like that. Anything fast, I, I was there.
1: <laughs> so how did you meet Jimmy Moffat?
6: I actually, it was during my degree. So I did a degree in equine science. Um, I did a college course. Um, you got a first? Course. Yeah, I got a first-class degree. And during my second year, I did quite a lot on like the equine athlete and I was really, really fascinated by it, obviously, which tailored more towards the racehorse. My lecturer at the time actually was stable yard manager at Cartmell Racecourse. Mm. She, um, Eleanor Borden, she now runs the Scottish Racing yeah. Academy. Um, so, yes, yeah, th- through her, I kind of got involved with helping out at, at Cartmel And it was timing was really fortunate, to be honest. Jimmy um, had a member of staff leaving and... I just got his number off somebody and then gave him a call and and just sort of said, can I come for some work experience and I think he was probably a bit reluctant at first but but anyway, he says, right, come in on Saturday morning and I'll see if you can ride. So I was like, right, okay, fine. (laughs) So I did, I went in and then it it just kind of went on from there. I worked full time over the summer between my second and third year and then um, when I started back from my third year um, in September, I obviously had my dissertation and things to do, but I was going in in the morning, ride, mucking out, riding out. Um, I'd maybe ride out one or two and then just set back off to uni, um, have lectures all day and obviously work on my dissertation and then drive back home at night and do it all again the next day. <laughs>
1: what would you be doing now if you hadn't?
6: Do you know what? I did actually, I did actually apply for the BHA graduate scheme and I got an interview down for that in London, but... Obviously, I started riding racehorses, so I didn't, I didn't go for it. So I probably would have pursued that a little bit, maybe. But I don't know. I mean, I've always wanted to ride, so that's... Yeah.
1: And it's not like Charlotte's the first person who's going to have rung you up and said, can I come in and ride out on Saturday morning or whatever it was. So you, you get hundreds of people wanting to come in. Yep. When you saw Charlotte, did you immediately know, hang on a minute, this person has something very different
7: about them? Yeah, she, she, she's quite obviously she, she could ride. You know, she, there, wasn't, uh, there wasn't an awful lot of doubt there. Um, very often when people come from um, a non-racing background but can ride, you have to change the style slightly, and that took a little bit of an adjustment, uh, pulling the irons up and such like, but she was always a natural. So it was uh, relatively straightforward, and I think uh, it was probably within the first 12 months of being with us that I thought that we might be able to take advantage of her riding ability, and you know, and obviously the ten pound claim that comes with that, and uh, yeah, it was yeah.
1: And there, there is a point sometimes when you've got a jockey who's on the up, where ten pounds suddenly becomes what's oh, a gift, daylight robbery, yeah, absolutely, effectively, gift. And is, was that immediately what it was? Yeah,
7: for you? I mean, uh, look, you see, she didn't have a racing background, if you like, and and I may may have flung her in a bit early. Um, but when things went right, we, we she, she she won quite quite uh, well, quite easily. Yeah, yeah. So, did you feel like you were being flung in early?
6: I mean, to me, I didn't know any different. So I hadn't I hadn't been on the flat. I hadn't been in points. I hadn't had an amateur licence. I was straight away conditional, and I rode over hurdles on my first ride. So. For me, I wasn't nervous, I wasn't... I was oblivious to everything, so I was just having a really good time, and it was great.
1: <laughs> so there, there is something to be said, isn't there, for just chucking somebody the ball and say, go on, then, have yeah. a couple of overs. Look, I mean...
7: I mean, I mean she, look, she, 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 she was a, she, a very a, a talented rider. She could ride and and, and, and school, and that was all... Sold. But it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. having about being
1: able to have the sort of mental strength to just go, yeah, I'll take yeah,
7: well. yeah, it. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, did, I never felt that we were doing anything that was putting her or the other riders or the horse in danger or anything like that. She's a good rider. And, um, but, uh, um, yeah, probably just tactically unaware, if you like. Yeah, yeah.
1: I wonder, uh, Dave, whether it's taken the sport longer than it ought to have done to wake up to what Charlotte has achieved and what actually Charlotte and Jimmy have achieved together in what probably feels like an age to you,
3: but actually is in not that long a period of time. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think that... um, I saw yesterday, Charlotte, uh, your feature on on Sky Sports, where you were talking about, you know, wanting to go beyond Cartmel and and to ride at at the big tracks, at the big festivals. And I suppose there's there's an element of that to explain the delay, isn't there? Um, You know, I made my first... Visit to Cartmel in uh, August, and it was a track that, um, a bit maybe like, like Pontefract on the flat. That it it struck me that that was a, we were talking about it just before we came on air, and it's obviously a very tricky track to ride, isn't it? It's it's in, it's very sharp at the end, but there are there are so many different aspects to riding Cartmel, and it strikes me that that's a that's a really good grounding for, for going to other places.
6: Yeah, I mean, for me, things happen quite quickly around there, so, y- you know, you have to be able to think on your feet, literally, um, as you do in any race, but, again, you don't, you don't really have a lot of time around there. However, I think you probably do have more time than what you might initially sort of think. And even though it's quite a turning sort of track, um, when you're sort of approaching two out, You've still got a long way to go because you obviously come straight up the middle again. So the winning post is, you know, you kind of come right back on yourself again. So for me, I think well, might as well be nearly another circuit to go. So just hang fire a little bit.
7: Well, a lot of horses get caught on the running. A lot yeah. of horses get you send them three out, two out, and they'll get caught on the running. It's a very long running. It's the second longest running in the in the country actually, apart after the Grand National course. So you know, you can go too soon there as well. But.
1: So much has been made of you, 73 winners, all 73 for, for Jimmy. Now you said yourself a few weeks ago, it is a bit strange that I'm not getting a few more outside rides and if I was a guy, would I have been getting more outside rides? Are you chucking the question out there or is it something that you know the answer to in your own mind?
6: I, no, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, at the end of the day, me getting outside rides, like, yeah, it is frustrating and I do, I'm open to any rides I can get, but at the same time... It's competitive like it is a competitive game there are some good jockeys up north obviously there are a lot of yards who who use mainly their own jockeys i don't ride out for anywhere so i can't just expect to be like get on everything and anything that it doesn't work like that um but i'm very happy with the rides i've got i do just i just want to be racing all the time as any jockey would so it's not you know, it's, this isn't me complaining and I'm also not trying right. to be like, I'm a girl and I, and I don't get get rides. That's not it at all. That's genuinely me asking the question. I, I don't know the answer. If, if I was a boy, would it be different? I, I don't know. I don't know. But at the, like I say, at the same time, all them other factors come into it. it, it we're in a competitive game. So I'm, all I can do is, is keep working on myself and my riding and, and just keep trying to get better and, and us as a team getting the winners elsewhere as well.
1: And because you were a jockey yourself, you have a little bit of a, an understanding as to what Charlotte's saying, but not the whole understanding, obviously. Um, what do you think the answer to Charlotte's
7: question is? Well, why she doesn't get more outside rides? Yeah. Um, uh, look, it's. I don't think there's as, quite as many opportunities in the north. Uh, a lot of the spare rides get hoovered up fairly quickly. There's not as many meetings. So. Fields are pretty small at the moment now as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. So. And. Um, yeah, so I think spare rides are a little bit tougher. Um, I, I I don't really have the answer, to be honest with you. She has a very good age in um, uh, John Neil, isn't it? John Neilson. Yeah, yeah, John Neilson, and, um, yeah, it's it's hard to fathom. I mean, obviously, uh, from my point of view my yard's point of view, it's great, you know, selfishly for me, uh, the, you know, and I, I'll, be, I'll be quite happy if she rides the 75 winners. all oh, for me, that'd be great. It'd be something, to be, something that's, that's, that's quite a nice thing, really. I'm sort of rather hoping that no-one does ride them next two winners. <laughs> but ah, yeah. But, you're but, a bit but, torn, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, a little bit. You're <laughs> a bit yeah, torn. I mean, yeah, of course, yeah. But, you know, you've got a great rider in the yard every single day. I know. Getting to know the horses, that's a big plus. Big plus in any yard. And it's really one of the principles about why I wanted to... homegrown yeah. riders from your own yard... Um, I think it's an advantage and and of course you get to know every not just every single horse
1: But every single owner as well, (laughs) and you obviously you're a great communicator. So this is going to massively help
6: Yeah, I mean for me knowing the horses is is massive. It is absolutely massive. I mean Union Avenue who I rode yesterday Mm. um, I ride him every day and the fact that Aintree when I won on him on Boxing Day, I think I think a lot of that has come from knowing the horse. I mean, I know, I know he stays and I knew we were going too slow and I had to press on down the back. And I think if I hadn't... If I didn't ride that horse every day, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known them kind of thing. So it, it's that kind of relationship that you build with these horses in the yard as well.
1: Well, pleased to welcome to the programme now Conor McGinn, MP, who is the uh, MP for St Helens North. He's going to be standing down at the next election. Uh, But Conor, for some years, has also been the co-chair of the all-parliamentary group for racing and bloodstock and is a great advocate for this sport. But earlier in the week, uh, he was um, suggesting that that had not really permeated the current Labour Party and, really, what was horse racing going to do about it? We are, of course, just weeks away from the parliamentary debate... On the 26th of February, Connor also said, uh, Parliament is listening. Um, he's with me now.
0: Morning, Connor. Morning, Nick. Great to be with you.
1: That I suppose we should be encouraged by the idea that you feel, in your capacity, that there are still parliamentarians listening to horse racing. Can you still feel any optimism?
0: Absolutely, and I think that racing finally getting behind this idea that we need to be firm with government, we need to create friends and allies right across parliament, we need to bring this issue of affordability, which is existential for our sport, right to the heart of Westminster and Whitehall, and popularising that in the sport. And I pay tribute to everyone involved in the petition because I know it's a tough industry to be in and people are busy with their occupation, first and foremost, which is, horse racing. And so the ability that we have now off the back of that to be able to say we are speaking on behalf of tens, hundreds of thousands of people and we need to get the government to listen. We need to get the government to think again and we need to get the government to understand not only do we have a fantastic sport, but that our sport is vitally important to the country, to its economy, to society, to culture. It's not just the tradition, the history of our sport that is intertwined with everything across these islands, but it's about the future. And that's what we need the government to sit up and listen to and act decisively.
1: Conor, we can talk and talk and talk, and you could advocate so passionately for racing for hours on end. What is the most compelling single line of argument for those people who neither know about nor care about the future of horse racing?
0: I don't think it's as simple as that, but the top line for us has got to be the contribution that racing makes to the British economy, the tens of thousands of direct and indirect jobs, the billions of pounds that we create in the rural economy, but for the UK as a whole, the fantastic export that we have across the world to champion Britain and everything that is good about our country. But I actually think, Nick, the passion, the enjoyment, the excitement is a vital part of the argument that we have to make, because facts and figures aren't enough. I'm not expecting every member of parliament, just like I'm not expecting every person in Britain and Ireland to be as passionate and to enjoy and to love horse racing as much as you or I do. But we have a great sport. There are so many good things about it. We have coverage that goes across the whole country most weekends we have access to people in their homes through our race courses through all of the infrastructure that we have around racing the breeding the training the ownership that is becoming much more accessible through i think the fantastic work that has been done around syndicates we are the second biggest spectator sport in the country so in an election year When politicians like I have done over the course of the last decade are knocking on your door or asking for your vote, racing needs to flex its muscles. It needs to speak with one voice, it needs to be heard, and it needs to demand Labour, Conservative, whichever the next government will be, listens to racing and supports racing.
1: Okay, Um, how well do you think the BHA are doing how good a job are they doing in terms of public affairs and lobbying parliamentarians?
0: I think part of the challenge the BHA has, it's like being in politics, everybody knows how to do your job better than you do, and everybody provides a running commentary on it, and I think in an industry like... So, recently, so can, you,
1: can, you provide a, can you provide a running commentary for me? Because you're not someone who's normally shy of giving a commentary, if, if needed.
0: My job, Nick, is to be racing's man in Westminster. And all that I ask that racing does is is that it comes to me with one voice. So what we need is clear leadership and strong leadership. But we also need to acknowledge the political realities. You know me well enough to know that I have never viewed anyone in racing. And in fact, as I go through life, uh, by virtue or through the prism of their, their politics, it's not something that particularly exercises me, particularly in racing. But people in Westminster who are politicians inevitably do see people as that. And I think that what we need to do in terms of our engagement with the next Labour government is frankly show them that the unfair characterisation of our sport as being posh or being run by toffs and having heavy associations with the Conservative Party, it's not true and it's not fair. Racing people are in racing because they love racing. We all have our views, our opinions, our outside interests, but we're in racing because we love racing. That, that's where work needs to be done, frankly. I think also in terms of the sport and how it thinks long-term, we, we I think, have been uh, beset, as politics has, frankly, by some short-term reactive decision-making. We need to think long-term for the sport. Leadership also requires challenge, and we need to challenge all of the component parts of our sport. Everybody isn't going to get what they want, But if we don't compromise, if we don't work together, we're not going to have anything to fight about because our sport is not going to exist, certainly as we know it today.
3: Connor, it's Dave Yates from the Daily Mirror here. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to um, look at a a quote from yours uh, to David Carr in in the Racing Post published on Friday with regard to whether racing has sat far too far out of its ground with regard to the likelihood of a new government... Um, this year. You you say um, there is still a a perception that racing is posh. It's run by Toffs. It's heavily identified with the Conservative Party. None of that is true. It's very unfair. is it not the case that that is true in, in lots of ways? You know, we, we, when, when we're talking about racing's finances, we have interventions from Matt Hancock, Pretty Patel, Jeremy Hunt. We've got a senior steward of the jockey club who's a Conservative peer who's married to a Tory MP. Don't you think that racing has... It's almost like it's sat 20 lengths out of its ground with regard to the, the party that's going to form the next government. And that ground is really extremely difficult to make up now.
0: It's a a great analogy, Dave, but look, I know all those people, all those people are friends of mine, and all those people are motivated by doing what is in the best interest of racing. Look, look, here here are the brutal facts. Uh, There are a lot of rich people in racing and a lot of rich people in the Conservative Party. And the middle of the venn diagram is sometimes populated by rich people who are racing people and who are conservatives that that is by accident rather than by design it's not about getting rid of any of those people it's not about changing that dynamic but it's just about in racing we talk about diversity and we talk about inclusion we don't talk about class a lot we don't talk about in terms of the running of our sport the role of the punter the role of working class people the role of the spectators who go to watch racing the small owners who are part of Syndicates who use their disposable income for that. So, so what we need to do is we need to start showing some respect for that, some respect for what one might describe as labour people, and we need to do that one because it's important and it's the right thing to do, and it's about the sustainability of our sport. But two, because it's it's about influencing what what I think will probably be an incoming labour government. We need to respect those people. We need to include them in our sport, and yes. You know, we do need to acknowledge that that perception exists and we need to prove that it's that it's not right. But, you know, I refer to my you know original comment and the fundamental approach I take to this, which is we shouldn't in racing view each other through political stripes. I'm not naive about what we need to do in terms of our public affairs and our lobbying of government. But to me, racing people are racing people. Um, and, and that is the case with MPs who support our sport as well. People like me on the left, colleagues on, on the right. You know, there is not a, a cigarette paper between us in terms of uh, what we want to do for racing and the views that we have about racing and gambling.
3: You see, I say this as a, as a Labour Party member. I, I think I hear sort of Luke Pollard in the past talking about the whip, of which I'm a, a, a staunch supporter, and I think that there's been a, a, a real uh, lack of engagement with, with lots of, uh, of, of people in the Labour Party. Just with regard to the, the debate... We live in a world now where there's a, a lack of nuance. Everything through, you know, particularly through social media, is, is black or white. Do you fear that a fortnight tomorrow, MPs will feel that there is a sort of a, a, a lack of, with that lack of nuance, a political um, uh, leaning, whether th- that it's going to be a division between support someone's right to bet or protect the vulnerable uh, 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 against? Uh, harm through gambling, do you fear that that there will be that lack of nuance and that will work against what essentially what, what we're trying to achieve?
0: I think in an era where we live in an era where policy is made by emotion and anecdote rather than evidence. And that is a problem for us in the way it's a problem for a whole range of a range of other industries and other issues look i mean i made reference last week to the small group of pro racing mps being the last of the mohicans and at the risk of sort of using another another analogy this debate is not the alamo i mean there are no decisions being made at this debate this debate is essentially about the industry and racing as a community uh, and as a family actually being able to say to their local mps this issue is important for me and I want you to be there and I want you to support this. But this is not a debate that is going to make the final decision. This is about us mustering our collective weight as racing people to influence and to ensure that MPs let the government know that its current trajectory is not not the one that we want to follow. Look, Dave, you're right. It's a really tough environment. I mean, people like me are accused of being pro-bookie. I mean, I'm not pro-bookie. I I'm a punter. I want to beat the bookies. My relationship with the bookies is adversarial. But what I don't want is for politicians and government to take away my ability to be able to get a better on, to enjoy the thrill of the chase, and to be able to hopefully beat the bookie as well. And that's essentially what this is what this is all about. It is not the job of government and um, without getting into a philosophical debate to police how people spend their hard-earned cash outside of them and yeah. keep within the laws and rules of the country. Conor, you touched on
1: a really interesting point there, that you're perceived as being pro-bookie and the toxicity that that perception carries with it in this neo-Puritanical age. Um, ultimately, no matter how good your intentions are, no matter how well you advocate on behalf of racing, no matter how much you ha- try and separate skill-based sports betting from casino games, won't that perception of MPs who are interested in horse racing being pro-bookie always undermine the argument?
0: Look, I can only stand in my bona fides. And look, I'm also in the luxury of a position, although I think I've always spoken my mind on these issues, that I'm standing down so I don't have to care about what I say now in the sense that I would have had I still been in the shadow cabinet and wanted to stand again. But I've always stood up for racing and I've always been very clear. Look, I also think, Nick, I mean, you've touched on something there that's important. Racing needs to be really careful about how it speaks about gambling. This uh, segregation of gambling into skilled and non-skilled. I mean, government doesn't really understand any of that. Uh, And and I just think we we need to be careful about downplaying the inextricable role that gambling has in racing. I said last week at the Racing Together industry conference, we should be on the front foot about that one problem gambler is 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 too much look it's a bit like welfare in our sport um you know one animal death is too much but there is risk involved in everything all we can do is mitigate it but i but i do think we have got to get on the front foot and say look you know for people like us in racing it's about the breeding and the training and the conditions and the competition and that's great Chief the millions of people who enjoy racing it's about having a flutter and hoping that you win on the colour, on the number, on the name, on, on your day out. And we have to respect that too. So let's not ourselves be too puritanical about other forms of gambling in the hope that the crocodile won't eat us.
1: I was quite interested also in some of the comments you had, and I wondered if you had would have made these comments were you not standing down at the election, talking about, I felt, the disconnect between, say, the modern... Labour Party front bench or the Labour Party front bench of, of 2024 and the, the communities, some of whom um, actually depend on a thriving rural economy of which horse racing can be a significant part. Is that a line of, um, of argument or attack that is going to hit home to Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner and others on the Labour Party front bench? Uh, and uh, Stephanie Peacock and Thangam Devonair and the people who are likely to be responsible for this portfolio?
0: Look, you know, I have always made that argument within the Labour Party as an old-fashioned working-class MP representing a place like St Helens, having a bet, uh, you know, having a beer, traditional uh, uh, working-class pursuits have always been um, part of our labor movement here. We're a, we're a traditional community, you know sport, rugby league horses and all of those things are all of those things are important. Um, look look I think generally there is a, there is a challenge I think for both parties, but particularly for the labor party to remain rooted and relevant in the communities that it represents. The problem for MPs of course is that most of the lobbying that we get nowadays is not face to face or in our communities. Um, it's via email and via social media, and you can very quickly get a false impression of what people think. And I suppose that's more what I, what I was alluding to. Look, there is, of course, I think, a fundamental breach between, um, the Labour Party of old and the group of MPs who traditionally would have been horse racing MPs who would have enjoyed a bet. Um, I mean that that is gone now. I mean, politics now is a is a is a a, a profession and a a pursuit that doesn't necessarily lend itself um to, to, to essentially people like me who enjoy the things that i do but i think as well there is such a a risk averse approach now to everything that politicians do and i think that the anti-gambling lobby has very successfully tried yeah. uh, to portray us as a, as a some, somehow contentious or 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 controversial and um, that that of course will have an impact as well